Hi, my name is Alicia Edge, Advanced Sports Dietitian and Co-Founder of Compete Nutrition. Welcome to the Compete Waffle, where we invite you to join us as we chat with true leaders, game changers and science seekers in all things performance. We aim to empower and educate to bring performance not only in sport, but also in life. Our guests share incredible translations to the latest science, inspiring personal stories and achievable calls to action, all with the goal of empowering the change that you want to be. So grab a cuppa, settle in and enjoy as we waffle on to bring you the absolute best in the business. I'm very proud to present to you an athlete that we have had the pleasure of working with for the last year and a half, I think, Shane. It is Shane Perkins, a world champion sprint cyclist. Um, now, funny story about meeting Shane. It all just came about very funnily. I thought it was like an April Fool's joke or something, but I will definitely tell you that later on. But um, yeah, he was recommended to us very randomly. We hadn't even launched our um, website as yet, and this guy comes through checkout. And we're like, oh, no one ever comes to check out and just pays. Like, this is, oh, Dan, how exciting. <laughs> and I was like, do you know Shane Perkins? And he's like, yeah, I know the Shane Perkins. I was like, no, no, not the Shane Perkins, Dan. Like, Shane Perkins isn't going to go through our checkout. <laughs> and um, it wasn't until I got an email from Shane going, hey, just signed up. This is my training program, ready to roll. And I was like, saw the um, little signature at the bottom, world champion track cyclist. I was like, Oh, okay, we are actually, <laughs> we're launched. <laughs> oh, this is actually shaped. And so it was very fun. I've worked in cycling for a long time, and um, but that was more like through AIS pathways and things, and then it was um, going straight into it. So Shane has um, gone through a pretty um, big pathway over the last, gosh, how long have you been cycling for, Shane? Let's start there. Uh, so, yeah, it's funny. Someone just the other day who was training at the track and someone yeah. asked me, I said, how long have you been doing this for? Like, you know, 12, 13 years. And I was like, yeah, probably. And I thought, hang on, I'll just, I'll think about that. And it's actually coming up on 20 years now. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's amazing. I, we're the same age. So, um, yeah, I have these little moments. Yeah. Where, oh, I'm getting old. Like, this is actually happening. Like, <laughs> um, got this beautiful bottle of wine last week and it was like 1992. And Dan and I were so excited, but like, what a beautiful bottle of wine. And Hermes is like, oh, that was before I was born. I was like, oh, God, we're getting so old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And I think yeah. lots of people do that. Like, I think lots of people are like, oh, how long you been in triathlon for? Or how long you been running for? It's like, you just say the same answer, like years in a row. And you're like, oh, five years, yeah. five years, five years. And then you're like, oh, hang on. Yeah. Count that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, how did you get into it? You're like, I know your dad cycled. So is that kind of what led you into cycling? Yeah, I was sort of around it. Like dad um, being an ex-cyclist and he was coaching a few people. He also built bike frames and everything. So I was, ah, kind of, yeah, I was around it sort yeah. of since I was born and, yeah. you know, riders coming through the house to pick up their bikes and all that sort of stuff and hearing all the conversations, watching dad build bikes and all that and obviously going to a lot of the races. So yeah. I was sort of around it, but I, I didn't really um, – actually, one of the guys I ended up uh, rooming with and obviously training with um, mm. at my first World Championships in 2006 was Shane Kelly. So a yeah. lot of people would know him through cycling, who's you know, he's a world champion and went to several Olympic Games. And cool. um, I remember actually watching him down at Northcote Velodrome, like, like the Austral wheel race we used to go every year and, you know, when I was – I don't know, eight, nine, 10, 11, and I'd just be running around the track. And then when the race had come on, I'd come to the fence and watch and see him and 
mm-hmm. lots of other really old bike riders too. And yeah, um, but I, I never, I never kind of thought, oh yeah, oh yeah, I really want to do this. I yeah, was always kind of like, nah, I don't really want to do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I was into other sports. Like I played footy. Um, we obviously had footy in our family as well from football, grandpa football, having played and football. Yeah. Oh, oh football. Yeah. Sorry. AFL. 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 Cool. Oh, yeah. you're a Melbourne yeah. man, aren't you? I am. Yeah. 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 So I'm a, I'm a Richmond uh, Richmond man. I was sort of born into it basically because yeah. uh, my grandpa played for Richmond. Oh, um, so- Dad actually played a few games for Richmond yeah. and um, Mum barracks for Richmond. So. Um, it's sort of a family affair, yeah. So there's a few um, athletes in your family. There is, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you sort of go back, there's yeah, you got Gramps and Dad, and yeah. um, actually my my uncle, so Dad's brother, he <laughs> he didn't get the sporting side, but um, yeah, he's actually a uh, like a gold um, or platinum musician. So kidding. Um, yeah, Colin Perkins. So That's cool. He's um, <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty. I don't know. I guess talented dad oh, and really? uncle. Yeah, yeah. So you can't yeah, yeah. go right. I've got to achieve something. What are we going to yeah, do? Got to do something. It's funny because actually, my also my my cousin, so my, my dad's brother's son. He he was on Big Brother, and oh. uh, he came, ended up coming second in Big Brother. So yeah, Travis <laughs> Perkins and yeah. So the creative side and the sporting side, which is pretty good. Did you get any of the creative side? Yeah. Um, I think, yes, I'm actually starting to see that come through a bit now because yeah. with, um, obviously, um, I don't know if I sort of spoke to you too much about this, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely excited, well, to, to coach one day, um, yeah. because I've been offered a lot of coaching jobs already and obviously, you know, we'll probably get to it, but you know, before I made the decision to ride for Russia, I was going to retire and become a coach. So that obviously that thought process is still stuck with me. So, um, you know, and it's actually hard to, to, I guess, keep the balance between wanting to actually help other people in terms of the sport um, and better them as people, um, which I think also comes from the creative side because you can't, there's not just one, one size fits all when it comes to training. So you've got to get to know the person and know, what's actually going to work better for them. So I think from that side, I'm pretty intrigued about it. But then, yeah, I've, obviously I'm still riding my bike and I've got to keep my own goals. So it's like, hang on a minute, you can, you know, you've got plenty of time to be a coach. So just focus on the athlete side. Yeah, yeah we did talk about that actually when we went out for dinner. We um, mm. talked a lot about your coaching, yeah. hopes and dreams for coaching, which I was so supportive of in the way of just knowing how it's been working with you and that professional side of the athlete. I think you've got a lot to offer. And I guess looking at that um, professional side of the athlete, I think, you know, you could probably teach a lot of people um, how to, you know, I guess I, I think that thing, the thing that intrigues me and I think it probably can either rub people the wrong way about you or really be on your side is that you're very committed to excellence and you yep. are very committed to um, being in charge of you as the athlete and being your own asset, which I find incredible to work with. And um, I love that you always have questions and demand, you know, new things or new information and things. Um, is that something you've always had or is it something that you've kind of taken charge of over the years? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that this is, even when I was very young, uh, when I first sort of started riding, um, I was quite lucky. The first coach that I had, Hilton Clark, um, which actually was a friend of dad's, 
because oh, um, there's there's no way that I was going to be able to be coached by dad. That just wouldn't have worked. Oh, I no. Would have started no. and retired in the same yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I started with him and sort of as we kind of started, I, I was just, you know, I started thinking about the training and why we were doing things and what, what, what was the focus of it. And, you know, aside from obviously I enjoyed it and loved it and loved going riding with my friends and stuff like that. And then I obviously had questions for him as well. And, you know, it was great that he, he saw that I was interested in that side of it. Um, so then obviously, yeah, he explained why we were doing things and, you know, what it was, what it was all about. So then I started to learn obviously about training more about myself, what worked, what didn't work. And yeah, yeah, then kind of just carried that on. But yeah, unfortunately, like you say, it can be, there can be a good side to that and a bad side to that. And yeah, unfortunately I have run into coaches it Again, depends, unfortunately, it depends on at, at a pretty high level. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. People and always have someone questioning why that can be like, oh, gosh, they're doubting me or they're not trusting me. Or yeah, really so that's, that's the first. Yeah. Yeah, that's, an, that's the, the automatic response is, you know, and I, I don't know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that it's got to go that way and you know, maybe there's some insecurities on potentially the coach's side that, you know, if if they're not thinking what they're doing is right you know and then obviously their athletes questioning them because being a coach is is a really difficult job like there's a lot of pressure on you there's a lot going on so i and i understood that quite quickly as an athlete so really big yes actually appreciate yeah yeah like yes it's you know i demanded i guess demanded a lot from from my my coach but and I, and I thought that I was maybe demanding too much. But now when I look at things again, it's like, well, hang on a minute. All I was asking was I, I wanted to understand why we were doing something. That, that's all I was asking. So, and as I've kind of learned from that, there's, if I, was, if I was going to be a coach, which is highly likely that I am, if my athlete was asking me that, I see that as a positive because they then are going to help me to help them. Because at the yeah. end of the day, that's, what a coach is there for yeah and i've i've really enjoyed the why of not just from you but lots of people ask me why different things and i get lots of questions because nutrition is just so crammed and confused so i get lots of questions of why but i always really enjoy it because it means that i then reflect on my own practice and also my own knowledge and can read different things because i think often athletes know some things before we do as researchers or practitioners and so if i can read Mm. into it or learn more about it from both parties and then come up with a, you know, from there, it's such a cool way of learning. And also it allows you to get to a point of understanding where you can translate to an athlete or um, an active individual. And when you can translate yeah. something, it means that you actually really understand it. So um, that's what I really yeah. like question of why. Um, yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's also good. I think even for yourself in, in a kind of a unique position where you can actually, like you're working with real world and I know there's, there's always, cause there's, there's this argument also with the, the um, with cycling and the programs and all that sort of stuff of this balance between sports science and real world, because yes, sports science may say through the testing and all the protocols and all that, that, that this way, oh, this way is the best way. But then in the real world, it may not be necessarily the case, or maybe it needs to be a balance between both. So Absolutely. I, I definitely believe now that, um, you know, obviously your biggest asset is, is knowledge, but I think one of the biggest, 
or best forms of knowledge isn't necessarily a book, but it's experience. Oh, so yeah. I think experience gives yeah. you the knowledge to be able to, you know, achieve those things. Obviously, if you can bring both into it and then um, obviously sift through those things yourself, it obviously makes you then even more knowledgeable. But I think, you know, having the experience is, yeah, is, is the biggest one. For sure. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's actually given enough credit to um, in a lot of professions, um, you yeah. know, uh, even looking at professional development points within the um, dietetics industry, you get a lot more for research and a lot more. And I think research is so, so critical, but so is experience. Yeah, yeah. So is that practical side as well. And that they complement each other perfectly. And there's so many things that we're yet to um, look into or delve into into research or, you know, the numbers in the research study may not have been actually been enough or adequate to actually see the variables. And so everyone's individual and also how they also interact with each other with the different strategies. Mm you're just to throw everything that was researched at someone then how do they actually interact and um, what's actually going yeah. to be for that individual and, you know, how they're going to react. And, um, yeah, it's yeah. a big area. That's- <laughs> Sorry, the phone's just going off. <laughs> yeah. Now look, um, this is this, this, The silent thing doesn't work on it, so, yeah. <laughs> is that your ringtone? Yeah, it's a, a message tone. So it's oh, actually yeah. the, um, it's one, no. of, one of the daughters out of this, Pickable me, so, yeah. Misha, Misha picked that one out. That one out for me. So I had the pleasure of meeting your yeah. your beautiful wife, Christine. Oh my goodness! So yeah. I think I found Christine intriguing, and I love that woman. Like she's such a strong, beautiful woman, and such a beautiful role model for your kids as a um, female. And one thing that I didn't realize, and I think this is something we're all guilty of, once someone becomes a mum and exits sport, we forget their previous life. And she was yeah, a- yeah. Well, she was, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm I'm a very lucky human to have met Christine and to be yeah living this life with her. So that I'm very grateful, and we're pretty lucky. We've got two two lovely kids as well. But um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't be able to do what I do and how I do it without Christine. So yeah, very very lucky there. But um, yeah, look, um, Christine was. Oh, look, she did, she did motocross as a kid and she did BMX for quite a while and um, then uh, went in, yeah, got, in, got into track cycling from, I think, about 14 or 15. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, went to Junior Worlds and she did pretty well there and um, was in the AOS for a little while, actually the, the track and the BMX program. That's cool. Um, yeah, and she won a medal at the World Championships in the teams for a bronze medal in 2007 yeah. so yeah not long after that yeah she she decided to retire through not because she wanted to they just unfortunately the support wasn't there but you know yeah. we, we've all got stories about that sort oh, of stuff we? but um <laughs> yeah yeah so but it's kind of it's interesting like when um you know when she's asked about this stuff too she um she sort of says well yeah, you know, obviously it was hard walking away from the sport, you know, in that kind of way. But then at the end of the day too, like the year after we had Aiden and, you know, we'd, um, I think, moved back to Melbourne. I'm not too sure. I can't remember. Oh, no, no, we're still, in, timeline. still in Adelaide. Yeah, it's totally fair. You've forgotten. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so she, she sort of said, well, we've sort of done all these things yeah. together as a couple that, you know, potentially we wouldn't have been able to do, um, you know, if, if it had have gone another way. So it's like, 
yeah, looking back on it, she's like, well, yeah, it's, it's not like, oh, I'm glad that happened, but it's like, you know, things happen like for a reason. And definitely, yeah. You know, this is yeah. where we are now. But um, yeah, yeah she's certainly, I, I was, I was amazed at how. <laughs> Sorry? She's always at track with you and helps you in the gym. I love watching that, the power couple. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm certainly lucky. Like, obviously, training, you know, in Brisbane, um, and because I'm riding for, for Russia, obviously, yeah, there's yeah. a challenge in itself for getting access to train and having trainers, which are all in Moscow. Um, so, yeah, on, on Christine's days off, we just work my training so that she can give me a hand, which is great. But it, it's also great for us. Like, we yeah. we don't, I guess we're, we're just lucky. Like, we, we don't... Um, we don't get sick of each other. They don't, there's no, you know, because I, I was sort of like down the track the other day. We we're out in the sun and whatever, and I was just like, yeah, you don't get sick of me. You don't get sick of coming. Because I was just thinking, <laughs> like, you know, obviously we're spending heaps of time together. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like we're at work like together. Yeah, yeah. You're away with Kieran, or um, you know, a few different little travel trips or competition. Yeah, yeah. Home. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it exactly. Yeah. So no, look, she's. She's really supportive and, yeah, she loves coming down to the track and, you know, helping me out um, with the bike and the standing starts like yesterday. And um, we actually, we try and go to the gym together when we can, um, like when she's got a a free day and sort of jiggle my program around to suit um, and trying to go to the gym together, which is good. Yeah, it's healthy. And how have you found, for those who aren't aware, I'm sure a lot of people are going, what, he rides for Russia? What's going on there? Like, how, <laughs> how did that come about, Shane? Come on, let's... let's yeah, yeah. You're retiring. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I was obviously, yeah, in the hunt for um, Rio in 2016. And yeah. um, at that point in time, probably be about a year and a half or two years before Rio. Um, yeah, I was told by Cycling Australia that they weren't going to renew my contract. So that meant no funding and no coaching support and that sort of stuff. So I... Yeah. Um, was basically told in the office when I was told that news, it was like, if you need help with your retirement, let us know. At, at what point I was kind of like, what? Retirement? Like, yeah. yeah, because some people may not know, but so way back when, when I was a 17, 18 year old, I was in the AIS and yeah, I was a bit naughty as an 18 year old or so. And I actually got sent back to Melbourne. So nothing crazy. I was, I was at a nightclub and not too late in the morning and yeah, I got okay. sent home. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so so most 18 year olds would be guilty of, but yeah, athletes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and I mean, look, I shouldn't have been there at yeah. two or 3 a.m. in the morning, but Hey, you know, sometimes hey. we do these things. And, and I think um, also with athletes, young athletes, we often get to a point where we go, Oh gosh, we've done sport all our teenage years. We just need to rebel a little yeah. bit. And often that happens around a little bit later than, you know, some people might yeah, yeah. be 17, but you're at AIS yeah. or you're, really committed yeah. to your sport so i think that rebellion or need yeah. to push boundaries is there for a lot of the young athletes and i think you know yeah. you say that a lot in um, endurance sports in particular where they just kind of hit burnout by 20 and they're like oh i've missed my team yeah yeah I, I <laughs> but anyway i'm guilty yeah. of like clubbing yeah. that's totally fine no judgment from me yeah, yeah. So off you went back to <laughs> yeah yeah so actually what yeah so I, I got sent back to melbourne and one of the actual really positive things out of that was that, you know, when you're, when you're in the AOS, and, and this is, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, this is a good thing, like you've obviously got all the support there, you know, you've got sometimes there's meals prepared for you, you know, you, all, all you're sort of doing is you turn up to the track, ready to roll, do your training, you know, your bike's looked after, your gears on your bike are looked after, 
the gyms open up, the track bookings are there. There's all sorts of stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that we as athletes, when we're younger, we take it for granted because we don't know or have the experience to know anything else. When yeah. I went back to Melbourne, it was like, for you. yeah, and I went back you. home. Mm. Yeah, and I was like, okay, okay, what am I doing? Uh, <laughs> okay, need need a training program. Okay, well, I have to write my own training program. Good, because I haven't got a coach. A gym. Okay, I need to do that too. Okay, yeah. where can I do gym? Okay, the VIS is supporting me. Good. Okay, track. Well, the VIS don't have any track bookings. Crap, we don't have a track coach. Okay. Wow. So then all this stuff starts. So I was doing that and, and it was good because I had to understand that, oh, this is actually, you know, when I spoke before about understanding what a coach does, and, mm. you know, support that they give, yeah, there's much more than what we, than goes on than what we see yeah. behind closed doors. So I kind of learned all this stuff and then through all that, that's, I guess I was doing it somewhat solitary. Like I was away from Adelaide where the AIS was and I was training by myself most of the time and then coming in for camps occasionally mm. um, just before big events. Mm. And that was somewhat a good thing. Like that's when I had a lot of my success when I was world champion and Commonwealth Games champion and stuff like that. Mm. And yeah, then I went back into the AIS program, got support before London. And, um, but unfortunately, yeah, what comes with that too is, so when I was in Melbourne, I had the freedom to do the training that I needed to do for myself. And, and although that sounds, yes, it's selfish, but at the same time, you know, it is my career. So when I, I went to Adelaide, there was kind of that balance where, yeah, you know, and it was hard for Cycling Australia to, to I guess, give me this. They, they gave it to me before London because my coach was there with me. He moved from Sydney. I moved from Melbourne. We both went to Adelaide. So I had yeah, good support yeah. there. So I could do the training I needed, but then still obviously um, create the image for the other athletes that I was being coached by yeah. the head coach, not my coach. Mm. So that yeah. was important for them, the psychology of that, that I wasn't getting anything more or different than what the others were getting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that's where sometimes, you know, there's a session in there that I normally wouldn't do, but then it's like, no, we want you to come and do it for that image thing. And then I was starting to get injuries, so I was sort of overreaching, overtraining. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I got a pretty bad back injury in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, this so this story that I'll tell now it makes I guess paints a pretty bad picture for cycling Australia, but it kind of sums up a lot of yeah. where things went after that. So yeah. I had a I had a pretty bad back injury to the point where like I hopped on the rollers because I thought my back was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, did a sprint on the rollers, my back went again, and I crawled to the phone to call Christine oh. to oh. help me because yeah. she was at work Yeah. because I couldn't move. So it was obviously a nerve impingement. Mm-hmm. Um, I then said, thinking, so in 2014, the Commonwealth Games were in Glasgow. I was thinking about Rio going, okay, I know it's still two years away, but obviously you know, with training, everything, it takes time to build up the strength, the speed, really? the power that you need by that time comes. So if you've got, okay, two years, you've got two cycles essentially, two years yeah. of work. Yeah. Um, to get in and I'm like if I can't get myself right now because it'll take me about six months to get right and then the training will start well I'm half a year behind mm-hmm. by then mm-hmm. so and then if I go to the Commonwealth Games I'll actually be a year behind because I'll have to just I can't really train because my back's gone we've got yeah. another two months to the Commonwealth Games all this sort of yeah. stuff so mm-hmm. they I said oh, look I want to pull myself out of Commonwealth Games and you know we had other riders that could have gone 
and they didn't uh, they wouldn't let me essentially pull mm. out of doing the Commonwealth Games. So I had actually seven cortisone injections, Ooh. which was not good. Yeah, so I had four, then another two, and then I ended up having an epidural um, cortisone injection. So just to get me on the plane. Yeah. Um, and then they flew me business class there. I couldn't, so I couldn't walk to the uh, food hall because my back was that bad. I had to ride my bike um, to and from the accommodation, was in bed most of the time, raced on yeah. Tramadol, which is a pretty powerful, um, powerful. Uh, like painkiller. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, sort of after that, it was, you know, how did you go? I, I kind of, with that? Oh, look, we won a bronze medal in the team sprint and I was fourth in the Kieran. So I actually did okay considering <laughs> all the factors. Like, you know, I think that's the thing with me over the years. Yeah, like in training, I can be a bit, you know, maybe not going so well. But when I pin a number on, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm race, I'm, I've got the Australian colours on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people are expecting me to, you know, do what I can. And, mm. you know, also when I see the finish line, I'm, you know, I get that that fire and, and yeah, start going. So, yeah, um, but then it's like after that's done, then it's like, all right, we're going to deal with the aftermath, which is my body. Yeah. So yeah, after that, um, and I was actually um, juggling Japan here and stuff in the meantime, because if yeah. I had it pulled out of those races, I would have had to have paid out my contract, which was a lot of money. I couldn't afford yeah. it. Massive. So I had to continue doing that. Gosh. Um, yeah. And so after that, I was like, all right, let, let's try and get my body ready. Um, you know, and again, it took pretty much the rest of that year of 2014 to come good again. I saw a bit of a glimpse in 2015 of coming good um, at the Worlds and, yeah, things didn't sort of go that well um, and they put another rider in, which which was fine. But then, yeah, yeah after yeah. that, they're like, okay, we're not going to renew your contract. So I was like, hmm, these last, you know, six months to a year have been a bit rough in terms of the injury stuff. and and um that's where i was sort of like okay obviously the belief's not there in me anymore mm. um especially when they tell you oh if you need some help with your retirement we'll help you and i'm like hey i'm not yeah. done so yeah, yeah. i thought okay i've got some money saved here i'm just going to keep riding i'm going to keep the, the dream alive to go to the uh, rio olympics mm. yeah and then basically trained with a friend of mine and i was actually working at a crossfit gym as well um yeah. in the meantime which was actually a lot of fun yeah, um, learn a lot it's from actually that, from that really too. nice to have that external influence as well that's completely outside. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So sort of did that on the outer. And the whole thing with this too, so there's a political scenario here. Mm-hmm. Cycling Australia have said to me, we're not going to renew your contract. Yeah. Enjoy your retirement. Basically, like, we want you to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said no. So I've gone against what they want me to do. Right, yeah. I've started training externally away from their program. Mm. Then, so, I, and I understand this from their side. It's like, okay, if I'm actually successful on the outside doing this, mm. what's to stop all the other athletes in there going, well, I'm going to go yeah. and train externally. And yeah. oh, maybe, maybe the AIS isn't that good. Like, and I'm not saying it's, it's, no, it's no, not, but that's the image that, that it portrays. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that was obviously working against me too. And I, and I kind of knew that somewhat, but it's like, well, you're leaving me no option. Yeah, so, and I so totally agree with that. I've and, got to do this. And yeah, you've yeah. got to be ready in yourself to retire. That's got to be, it can't be a one-sided mm. 
uh, um, conversation, I think. Um, and if you definitely, you, yeah. you weren't very old either. Like you would have been yeah. old at that age. Like, yeah, you would have still been in your... So 2014, yeah, like 28 or 29 yeah, yeah. or something like that. Like yeah, definitely still even 30 yet. So. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I think, and, and this is the funny thing. I kind of thought to myself, what, what, like it would have cost them nothing to say, all right, we can't give you funding, but mm. you know, we, we can't renew your contract, but if you want to continue, we'll help set you up with a state Institute. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you can, you have still have a chance of coming back into the team. If you meet these times or results requirements, That's what I find like if I had to turn around yeah. and said that it's, yeah. you know, it would have been a whole different story. Yeah, because it's a lot of time between the time that they asked you to retire yeah. to the Olympics. So yeah. it's interesting they made that call. Yeah. So particularly um, so close to an injury. So that, I find that quite intriguing and I understand why you... Yeah. I think I've still got time to, you know, at least give myself... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think in that too, the... Um, oh, sorry, yeah where we're up to in the story is yeah, leading up to the, the nationals yeah. of the year of Rio. So yeah. before yeah. the nationals, they have world cups. So world cups, you need to do world cups to go to the world championships. Mm. I met with cycling Australia leading up to the world cup because I actually had enough points to go as an Australian rider. Oh, right and right. I said, you know, can I do a world cup? Mm. Like, you know, you, you've seen that I'm going all right. You know, mm. they're talk I was training with Sassy group in, in South Australia under Jason Niblett. So he's in contact with the head coach all the time. They're always asking, how's he going? Mm. And they said, oh, yeah, we don't have any money to send another person. Like they were sending smaller teams. Oh. I said, okay. So for example, they'll send three riders, but they've got four spots to do yeah, an event. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll pay. That's no problem. I've mm. got some money saved there. I'll pay my own way. No yeah. problem. The answer was still no. So, okay, okay, I can't even pay to ride for my own country, yeah. which was a bit really crazy in itself. So yeah. I was like, all right, yeah. I'm not going to be able to go to the world titles, which puts me yes, at a, on the back foot for the Olympics too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then the only thing I had could target was the national titles. So I targeted the national titles. I think I won a bronze in the sprint. Cool. Did a pretty good time in the team sprint yeah. with the team we had from Victoria. And then I won the Kieran. Cool. So... Going off that, you would think that, okay, at the very least, you know, I'm going to get, you know, at least be able to show my form maybe in the lead-up camp to Rio or something like that. But yeah. I was offered like a third reserve or something like yeah. that. Even after that result. That's... Which, yeah, which is, and didn't, so they, they had another reserve, but mm-hmm. this person went to the camp, got to try and prove that they should actually be in the team. For Rio mm. instead of a reserve mm. I didn't even get that opportunity so at that point yeah I was I was sort of like all right maybe it's time like I had another contract in Japan to go yeah. actually yeah. Um, at the end of 2016 so I was like oh, I'll go and do that and then I'll probably retire so yeah I was thinking about all that and while all this was going on so a good a close friend of mine who I'd been to Japan with quite a number of times was Dennis Dimitriev from Russia and yeah. we become yeah. good friends and yeah. he knew all this stuff that was going on. And he's like, yeah, jokingly, he said a lot of times in the lead up to Rio, like, <laughs> ah, should, should come ride for Russia. Like you won't have that, that problem. Like, yeah. yeah. And I was sort of like, okay, yeah. That's, yeah. Whatever, man. It's, that's cool. it's yeah. never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and he obviously thought the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then later on, like we, we'd, we'd caught up. So after Rio Olympics, he won a bronze medal in the sprint. Um, and so we hadn't seen each other since uh, or for, for quite a while, like about six months. So we caught up in Japan. Like, oh, let's go for a few beers. You know, we're on a bit of, bit, bit of downtime. And nice. so we caught up and we started talking. I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to probably retire after this. And he's like, huh, what, 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 what? what? Yeah. I said, well, yeah, I've got to think about my family. And, and it would have been extremely you know. draining financially and mentally, that whole, you know. Yeah. Well, we, we basically, you know, I was explaining this to my coach actually from Russia last night, mm. like just this, this, this step, the story. Oh, yeah. I've been lucky that I'd been, you know, you know, we bought a place in Melbourne and then we moved to Adelaide. We kept the place in Melbourne as mm. an investment property. And I'm having to sell that because all the stuff going on where it's like, okay, we need some funding now. Yeah. Save yeah. some money up from Japan and all that sort of stuff. So things were going all right. Mm. Yeah. Then all this process started. And it's like, okay, I'm not getting paid now. Still want to ride. So it's eventually the money runs out and it did like mm. that's in all honesty, it did. So yeah. it's, that's where it's like, all right, well, I need to go and do something else, which yeah. I'm cool with. Um, and yeah, started not to talk to Dennis. <laughs> Sorry? Not everyone could say that. Like, I think, you know, finding an identity yeah. part of your sport is a really tricky balance and it's good that you're open to, you know, other options and had that thought process of like, okay, I've got to oh, do Oh, certainly. And what am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that was a no-brainer for me. Like, mm. yes, okay, uh, you know, there's this side of you that, no, I don't know, I want to keep riding my bike, but then it's like my family's always and always been and always will be number one. Yeah. So... You know, if if my cycling starts to, <laughs> yeah, if yeah, if my cycling ever started to affect that, yeah, then I'd get rid of the the cycling. 100%. Yeah, there's always a problem. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So with with all that happening, talking to Dennis, and you know, I sort of was like, look, if I had the opportunity to keep riding, I would, that no doubt, you know. Mm. And but I said, you know, I got to think of my family and all sort of stuff, and. You know, I need to support them. So I don't want it to affect him. And he's just like, maybe we should try and get you a Russian citizenship. Yeah. And I was just like, no. uh, you, you sure? Like, I think, you know, I haven't got any Russians in my family, so that might be a bit tough. And he's like, well, yeah. why, why can't we just try? So I was like, okay. And I sort of thought to myself, like, what have I got to lose, yeah. really? And what can they really you say? Know, they know. I, yeah. yeah. And I know, I know there was all this, like, obviously one part of me was like, I'm worried about the whole, the, the drugs and sport side of things when with all the stuff that went on before Rio and athletes not getting to go and all the stuff that happened with the Olympics and Sochi and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, luckily enough, just myself, I don't believe everything that's put in the media. So you would never have done it. Some things are true. Some things are crap. Yeah, exactly. So um, the fact that I'd known Dennis for so long also mm-hmm. gave me a lot of confidence too because I'm like, well, I'm, I know him, I trust him, I know there's nothing shady going on here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was sort of, you know, I was comfortable in that fact but but also I was comfortable in, in myself. Like my integrity is there, 100%. So it's like, you know, if anything was ever put in my face, Mm. At the end of the day, it's you. You're the one that makes the choice. It's no one else's fault. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you yeah. if you decide, oh, you know, it's a, you hear these some of these athletes. Oh, the, the coach gave it to me. It's like, yeah, but you, you still took it. So absolutely, and it's a really the end of the day, take take accountability. 
Yeah. And, and when it always comes back to the athlete, it is always whatever goes in your mouth is your responsibility. And it's yeah. not the coaches, it's not the dietitians, it's not sports mm-hmm. science. And it's really interesting. Exactly. Always. Cause I always kind of educate the junior athlete and every athlete on this is that it's actually your responsibility. Like you can never actually yeah. put it on anyone else. So, you know, there yeah. will always be, you know, the risk of inadvertent doping and I can understand how yeah. that happens, but there's definitely less of that now that there's third party testing, but um yeah it's a really interesting that i think everyone needs to be aware of because now that there's so many supplement shops um the use of even naturopaths um is all really well um because of the different um influences that herbal supplements have on um uh, the hormones as well um a lot of people are really trusting in a lot of different areas and they're like another message yeah yeah sorry (laughs) um so yeah it's a really interesting thing that i think um you know if if you're very confident in yourself and um you're very confident where you which direction you want to go and your values and all those type of things and also on top of that you always have your family first so i think you know there's always going to be that um as well yeah Yeah, definitely (laughs) i don't know they're a bit funny knock it off guys there's no one there. That's all right. My dog's got Tourette's as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, really interesting. So but, was the process really hard or was it pretty? Um, no, nah, look, once, since when we spoke and it was around about probably November 2016, yeah. we started the process and at sort of the end, in December, I went and met with uh, the cycling president at the time, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Makarov, and um, kind of got his blessing because he's got a fair bit of pull over there and yeah. just sort of went over there. And actually one of the questions that got brought up was, but aren't you worried about the doping thing in, in Russia? Yeah. And I was just like, Very I just said to him, like, should I be? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And like, he's just like, like, he just said, oh, no, that's why we're asking you. Because he, he, his worry was that, well, you've got a good reputation mm. already in the sport. He's like, we don't want to tarnish that, even, wow. if, even if it's not true within yeah. cycling. Yeah. So... That was great. That that actually was really it went a long way in terms of the trust that they're actually thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, they had you, you as know, the athlete in person first. Yeah, yeah. So that was great, and yeah, basically after that meeting, we're like, he just said, "Okay, let's yep, go. done. Let's do it." So he, he's a he's a pretty big businessman over there. So again, he got a lot of pull. So he yeah, started the whole process off, and then um, I think in. I had to go back again in February to do some documents and stuff like that. And then in August, 2017, yeah, yeah I was officially a Russian citizen. And I got my passport and got an official letter from Mr. Putin saying, welcome to Russia. Um, so yeah, it all, all started last year as an official citizen and, um, yeah. And throughout this, I found the whole, um, your, um, perspective on it has been really really cool because i think a lot mm. of people will be like oh well what's it like racing for russia or how do you feel wearing russian colors or um, uniforms and how do i yeah. then you know cheer for you like as an australian how do i then feel about this and um yeah. you know i had these really mixed feelings of like oh i really like australia but i really love shane and this is <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people have probably found but you always came back to me and was like no this is i love your uh, um, way of thinking of just this is just 
the most amazing opportunity as an individual and an athlete and yeah. family. And um, do you still feel that way? And, you know, how's it been? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, everything or anything you do in life has its challenges. There's no doubt that it's, you know, yes, it has its challenges. But at the end of the day too, like exactly like you said, I just looked at it and thought this, who, who gets an opportunity to do something like this? And it's very, very few people, you know, not, not many at all get the opportunity to do this and um, to get to, to, be, to be part of, I guess, um, the process in another country of you know going to Olympics, but then just the everyday things, just life in itself. Like I, I'm, I can look back on this when I'm old and grey, and you know I've, I've had my chance at life, and you know at that point it's all over, and think, geez, you know I, I made the most of all the opportunities that were were put my way, and I was explaining this to someone the other day, like with when it comes to to racing. Um, it's as simple as just even when you're in the race, hmm. it's as simple as making the most out of the opportunities that you're given in a race. That's oh, particularly track cycling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's a simple, yeah, that's what it comes back down to because yeah. Okay. You can't win everything, but you can give yourself the best opportunities to, Yeah, you know, and you just got to be able to, I guess, have enough confidence and self-belief in yourself and the people around you that, you can take this opportunity and, and see where it leads. And this is, this is essentially what I've done with this opportunity with Russia is just to see, see where it goes because yeah. there's no guarantee that I'll be in Tokyo. There's no guarantee that, you know, I'm going to be at the Worlds next year. It's, I've still got to fight for my spots and I've still got to do all the training and all that sort of stuff. So it's not actually easier. It's a, it's a, it's a more challenging route, yeah. if anything. Yeah. Um, but... But it's just an you know, open. You know, you know, There's actually just. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's like. And it must have been nice to get that recognition in the way of we're willing to give you a chance and we trust in you. I think that must have been a really nice yeah. thing through the whole process as well. Yeah, definitely. And look, there there were some reservations, obviously, because. Um, sorry. Um, yeah. Jeez. The, <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I got a Russian phone, Australian phone, and then it's all linked up to the MacBook, and oh, that's they all, they all go off. Thanks, Apple. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, what, what, yeah. Sorry, yeah. So there were some reservations um, actually with Russia because it's like, ah, oh, he's had some injuries. You know, he's in his thirties. Do we need basically this old guy? Yeah. Um, to come into the team. And then, yeah. you know, so that was, that was up to me. Um, yeah. And that was, that was a pretty huge challenge because I knew that. And, you know, I'm obviously a foreigner coming in yeah. to their team mm-hmm. and trying to push my way in sort of thing. So that was quite tough out. in itself. You know, like this is the thing. That's exactly. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously I expected a bit of kickback from there, but actually everyone's been really good, but it was up to me to sort of show my value and and that that actually happened last year um so when we did the team sprint at a world cup so yes. we won and then we did a, a national record in the process so fastest russian team ever yeah so it's sort of like okay there we go there yeah, you, okay they're, they're yeah, seen yeah. like there's his value that's yeah, what he can do um, <laughs> it's like oh exactly yeah 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 and I think also, yeah, it's like some of the coaches are seeing that um, obviously from my 
side, there's also an interest from me in not just my own cycling career, but helping other riders. Yeah. So yeah. starting to, even though, yes, there's a bit of a language barrier and I am starting to learn a little bit, but cool. they can see that there's, there's a difference in my attitude mm. or yeah, I guess attitude when it comes to the training, when it comes to the racing yeah. and I guess the, the positive self-talk and things like that, that you need um, mm. yeah, at the race because mm. a lot of the, a lot of riders can, you know, can be, can put out heaps of watts and they're, you know, on paper, they look absolutely amazing. And then it comes race day and it's like, yeah, actually on race day, it's all what's between your ears. Like yeah. all the work's been done in terms yeah. of the preparing the body. But you know, the difference between a winner and a loser is essentially between the ears, like what happens yeah, between that the ears. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I definitely see a lot of in athletes is that resilience and that need for resilience. And I know that the selection process has definitely changed in even women's cycling for Australia has changed in the way that they select the team, not based on yep. only um, talent now, but they also put them through yep. a pretty hefty camp to see yep. who's actually going to be a leader and who is going to be resilient in different yeah. circumstances. So that's seen a really big yep. increase in the um, success of the team because it's not just yep. on talent. As you said, like you may not you know, have all the top numbers all the time or, you know, mm. show your worth in training all the time. So what would you tell, you know, um, different athletes of all different areas about that resilience? And is it something you can learn or is it something that's, you know, something natural that comes to you? Yeah, I think just those athletes being, um, so from what uh, my Russian coach has said, and mm. I've had this, so just for everyone that doesn't know, I, I don't actually live in Moscow. So I'm oh, yes, living everyone, in Brisbane. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. So I, we thought, so talking with the Russian Federation, we thought that it'd probably be better that I stay in Brisbane, which one, because of my family. Yeah. Um, but two, because of obviously all the stuff that happened before Sochi and Rio, where some, they didn't allow some athletes to go to the Olympics, even if they didn't have a doping violation. So yeah, unfortunately, the IOCs made those decisions. So, you know, when we thought about it, it's like, okay, if I'm living in, in, in Moscow and obviously I'm in the media in terms of having changed to the Russian team, you know, maybe we just want to take that risk of them saying, Oh, you've, you've been in Russia. Maybe you did something here. So it's like, well, well I can't say that if I'm in Brisbane. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I live in a train in Brisbane and go to camps uh, occasionally overseas. But one part of that's been awesome here in Brisbane too, is I've been doing a bit of work with also the um, high performance Queensland uh, team. So juniors and stuff like that. So I come to the training sessions and, and this was purely like, okay, I can get track time, but also the coach here, uh, Nick Famosa, he's like, we really want you around so they can see Brilliant. how to how to be a professional athlete. So when you're at training, the mental side of things, how you prepare while you're at training, yeah. you know, the things you bring to training, all these little details, how you handle a bad effort, how you handle a good effort, you know, the, the warm downs, all that sort of stuff. So I think the best way, and this happens in, in Russia too, um, you know, my coach in Russia was saying that we always like having you on camps because you're always bringing a good mood, even when times might not be that great. Yeah. You know, when we can't do the training we need because of the weather, like you're always uh, keeping things positive. 
Yeah, great. And that's sort of the biggest thing, um, I think, is just having an example around. So it's not necessarily like it's, it's always hard. You know, this whole thing when you're, uh, um, you know, I, I get this as a, as a parent now having two kids, but I remember when dad used to say to me, you know, like, don't do it this way, do it that way. And you think like, yeah, whatever, I'll just, I'll learn it myself. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, I'm going to work that. Yeah. yeah, so it's like one of the, I guess, the, the, the best ways to learn is, is, is by example, but yeah. then you're doing it yourself. So you're actually doing it. You see an example, you're doing it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's one of the best ways I think is, Fantastic. you know, not necessarily, it's not like I'm telling the athletes, you need to do this, you need to do that because everyone's different. So everyone's going to react differently in different yeah. circumstances. And, and, and like, like we spoke about, there's no yeah. one way. Yeah, and being told that you, you just need to be more resilient, that's not actually going to achieve anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah, what is resilience? Yeah, like... Uh, They're like, what is yeah. that? Like, I don't know how to do that. And, you know, yeah. about, it's really about being okay with change and things not going to plan. Like, you know, yeah. not getting your bike after a flight and what are you going to do in that circumstance? Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. What about the weather? What's What does that mean if you're going to get your key mm. session? For a key race what about accessing food what are you going to do when the food's different or um you can't yeah. have your food or you know what's your food? you know it's resilience is really yeah. about being okay with changing mm. circumstances and um that's what i would love to see more of in an athlete is that oh definitely yeah so that's problem solved <laughs> yeah 100 i i think that comes with um that comes certainly with experience, but also when I think when an athlete or person in general, when someone understands themselves better Mm -hmm. and obviously we never, you know, we're always learning new things about ourselves, but when you start to understand your own emotions, how you're feeling and you can actually react to those emotions, that's I think where you make these big leaps. And you start to get that resilience because, as an example, yeah, your bike doesn't turn up. Well, of course, you're going to be pissed off. Mm. Oh, but that's you, you know that. Yeah, 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 it's totally okay. Yeah, you know that. So you can go, all right, you know, what's what's the worst thing here? Okay, I don't have my bike, but I can go for a walk. I can go and have a coffee. I can go and have a look at wherever the hell we've just flown to around yeah. the world. Yeah, There's cool. other positive things you can do. Like it's just the scenario, scenario you've been given. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the hand you've been dealt. So try and somehow make make the most of it yeah it's something that i continue to learn you know those control your controllables and they these things that yeah. are out of control whether it be weather whether it be the flight or whether it be an injury to whatever like you know there's things that you control mm. basically just your emotions that you can then recognize and move on from there and um yeah, yeah it's it's really cool that you are putting yourself in these positions and um being a role model because i do talk about you a lot within my athletes and you probably don't know that but um you're one of the most professional athletes i've worked with um in terms of you know accepting um different streams of information questioning the why, um and really yeah. so many messages and yeah, driving influence, you know so uh, i believe yep. there's a of things that you can teach an athlete um not necessarily as a lecturer or you know i know best yeah, yeah. or just by example and um i think that's the best way to teach someone whether it be a junior or an everyday athlete or um just yep. someone who's looking to be you know more tuned into their professional careers or parenting or what you know those types of things are 
Jeez. That's hey. Hey. <laughs> yeah. God. I'll uh go oh, get... no, he's alright, he's calmed down. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. And I, I don't think we can probably um not bring up um drugs in sport while, you know, considering you yeah. are from Russia and I think it's a question that a lot of people would have. They're like, Oh well yeah. he's gone to Russia for a reason or <laughs> those quads don't just come naturally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Were you born with yeah, those? Certainly. Were you, did you always have a massive muscle mass, or was that just um, fine? Oh, look, I, I was I was a pretty muscly kid. Mm-hmm. Um, not not crazily. Um, I was pretty. I guess, like if if you look at um, you know some kids, and you know even my son, like you know you throw a ball at him and he's just like you know misses it and it hits him. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, come on, man, where's yeah. your motor functions going on? But he's, he's quite tall. Um, yeah, yeah, like he, he, he's quite tall. So I just kind of laugh and like, oh, you know, he's, he's, got, he's a bit lanky, he's still getting yeah. his coordination and stuff. But like when I was at the same age, I was playing basketball and running around. So I had really good, um, I guess, that, that motor function, the pattern kind of thing from an early age. So, yeah. and I was quite lucky because my mum was also into sports. Like she played basketball ball at a pretty high level and did calisthenics and all this sort of stuff so mm-hmm. and she's got really good carbs so yeah. i i got her carbs yeah yeah um so thanks for that mum yeah um, thank you but um yeah i i think like as you as you've kind of i guess seen um with with working with me yeah. in terms of my body mass and all that with the muscle that just goes on pretty quickly and pretty easily if if yeah. things are you know like i don't do any upper body stuff now but it yeah. certainly looks like i do do it yeah, yeah. um you yeah. know i often get asked like what are you oh what are you doing with the upper body like you know the coaches are saying don't do any more it's like yeah, I, I don't do any it. it's yeah. it's just yeah. how i'm built yeah and it's really um, because you've got different goals body comp wise than the average so we're actually working on reaching yeah. So we don't have a lot of body yeah. to work with with Shane, and he's yeah. like, "Get lighter." I was like, "Oh, good, this is fun." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Trying to lose lean mass on a mesomorph. This is fantastic. So yeah, yeah it's a really yeah. goal. Um, yeah. And your Dexas yeah. gets are pretty impressive. I think a lot of people would froth over those. Um, but yeah, yeah. You know, there's definitely the training aspect. You do a lot of training. You're definitely yeah. more of a power athlete sometimes than a cyclist, mm. and I think a lot of people don't realize yeah. how much gym is in your program and strength-based sport and power, yeah. power sport um, and very, very cool um, results from it. But obviously, you know, the genetics mm. big thing as well. And it's not that, you know, you might've just, <laughs> you didn't get spotted and go with those quads, you need to be a sprint cyclist. They kind of came. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah. Obviously up. over time. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. you know, with the, um, the whole, you know, doping scandal and things like that. Yeah. How has Russia been to work with yeah. um, in terms of supplement use and um, drug use, I guess, is probably the word. Yeah, actually, to my, you know, obviously you kind of go, like I go over there with these preconceived ideas because of all the stuff that's gone on in the media, yeah. like thinking yeah. to myself like, oh, you know, I, I'm sort of a little bit, not scared, but just like, oh, I wonder what it's actually really like here. I'm definitely going to find out. Yeah. And but like the other thing too is I I never thought that like you know it's gonna be it's not gonna be like these things or these scenarios that are painted on the news where it's you know you go down to this deep deep dark dungeon and it's like yeah. you know they've got all these drugs here and all this sort of stuff. 
And they've actually been amazing. Like they, they have, and as, as you know, too, Alicia, like they, they give us the fish oils and yeah. um, like creatine and stuff like that, which they, they have um, tested third party tested from the, uh, the Moscow Olympic school reserve. So yeah. they get um, from different companies, they get like things like fish oil, creatine, mm. um, even their protein is a, um, which they, they don't, they don't give that to me. Obviously, I have my own through um, SIS, but um, they actually test all those stuff and that that's it. They don't give you sort of any more stuff, maybe a multivitamin, but again, it's all sort of tested and checked. Yeah. And it's actually, I, I find that pretty pretty amazing that they're, they're, they're doing that sort of stuff. Like even when I was in the Australian team, early on they used to do, you know, the multis and stuff like that. And then they've actually cut that out completely because of... You know, even you know, even Australia. And I hate to say it, but yes, we've had our own little scandals going on. So no yeah. one's immune. No, um, no you know, no. Nah, so you know, with cycling, two thousand and four, there's a bit going on around the Athens Olympics uh, with track cycling, and obviously from then, you know, uh, learnt from it and then moved on and put things in place for all sports um, to try and help prevent that stuff from ever happening again and this is exactly what you know Russia's taking that kind of course of action where to the extent where I was at a race this year and um, you know I sometimes get sports induced asthma and stuff like that depending on the weather and so I don't need the asthma um, all the time but occasionally I do so in the past um, with our Australian doc like he'd, he'd give it to me or he'd give me, me even you know when I had problems with my back it'd be cortisone yeah. And, you know, obviously I thought that that's sort of what you do. So when I had these problems again, I was talking to the Russian doctor going, okay, asthma pump, cortisone, and they're freaking out because I'm having an asthma pump, even though it's legal. So it's kind of like they've, you know, they're actually, and then these are doctors that have been there, you know, for a long time. So I don't think they'd be able to put an act on Mm. thinking that, that anyway, going down that path, but they've, they've been, yeah, kind of actually, uh, I want to I say more over the yeah. top than yeah. Australia. And yeah. I don't, like, it's not over the top because at the end of the day, no, it's, actually, it's, yeah. it's, it's got to be that way. Yeah. But, you know, Australia had things there, in yeah. place, but then Russia seems like they've just taken it to a whole new level where they're just like, yeah. nothing. Yeah. Run, no like, you can't no, take yeah. anything. Yeah, no. So... That's cool. And I think so a lot that's... of people enjoy hearing that. I think that's a really big thing that, um, you know, a lot of people are not aware of because they might have watched Akaris mm. on Akaris. I don't know how you pronounce it. But anyway, that documentary yeah. about um, yeah, Icarus, yeah. Yeah, um, drug scandals in Russia. And I think it's like, oh, well, everyone must do that and every sport must yeah. do that. But it was very... <laughs> it's just great. what happens, yeah. 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 And, um, you know... I, how how do you see um, doping in cycling? Because um, yeah. I I know as a track cyclist, you're very mm. much internal to road cycling. And would you say the environment yeah. culture is very different? Uh hundred percent. I would say, like I, I love road cycling, and I'm not trying to, you know, drag it down or anything. Oh, I've got no. a lot of friends that I grew up with. One of one of them, Simon Simon Clark, who just won a stage of the Vuelta, who I. Very we cool. started together on the track and everything, so yeah. Obviously, got a lot of lot of friends in in the peloton, but yeah, with 
you know, obviously there's the Lance Armstrong scene. There's so many stories about, uh, obviously Lance Armstrong's the, the most famous one yeah. with all, all that scenario going on. But unfortunately what sort of happens is because, you know, track cycling, it, you know, it's not road, it's very different, but because it's cycling, it falls under that same category. So, you know, when, when people do talk about cycling and you say, oh, you're a cyclist, they automatically think like, oh, what drugs are you on? Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of thing. And you know, it's just like, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the environment with track cycling. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's even well. twofold now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you only went there for one reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, um, easy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but the, I guess the, the landscape for track cycling is very, very different to road. So road is, I'll call road it's a professional sport. So it's like you've got AFL, you've got the NRL, you've got the you know, soccer leagues and all that sort of stuff. They're paid to, I guess, entertain. Like essentially a professional sport really, or I know that it's competition and all that sort of stuff, but it is you, entertainment. Otherwise, why, you know, the Olympics, it's yeah. entertainment. That's why Coca-Cola, yeah. McDonald's and all that yeah. put so much money into it. It's entertainment. You know, with track cycling, yeah, unfortunately, we're not on that level or scale where it's classed as commercial. I wouldn't yeah. say it's professional. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily a professional sport. It hasn't got the same level of sponsors or, mm. you know, payments, funding, yeah. any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's funded by essentially the Olympic committees of of the world. You yeah. know, your ministries of sport and all that sort of stuff. That's how athletes are getting funding essentially for track cycling. That's how I'm getting funded. Yeah. Not through sponsors or anything external right. like that. Yeah. Um, How did you find sponsors reacted when you went to Russia? Um, but so a lot of the, obviously you guys were great about it all. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but um, which is great to to have that trust too, because then it's sort of like, well, okay, there you go. Like pe- people are looking at me as a human, not yes. you know a certain scenario that could happen you know yeah absolutely yeah we're looking at you and your values yeah yeah exactly so and look everyone every, all of my current sort of sponsors have been actually really supportive mm-hmm. uh with that but yeah. then yeah finding new sponsors or like financial sponsors mm-hmm. or bigger brands yeah. yeah that's where it's pretty hard because they see one cyclist yeah which yeah. as we've just discussed you know, the with the whole road, road scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then two, it's like, oh, he's a Russian cyclist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's even, it's like two big no-nos right there. So like, for example, when the Lance Armstrong thing happened, I had a, a pretty major sponsor in um, Japan. Yeah. And um, so across Japan and Australia. So it was a pretty big company, clothing company. And, you know, they were funding me, you know, I was able to keep doing what I was doing through their funding. Mm-hmm. When that all happened, they, they dropped out. And I, I have nothing to do with road cycling at all. I'm a track cyclist. So, wow. you know, yeah. it certainly affected a lot of things and, mm. uh, you know, there are heaps of people that are affected uh, yeah, in the world of track cycling and cycling in general. Yeah. Which I think went um, unseen. I don't think people... Yeah, do. definitely. Um, but yeah. it hit a lot of people very hard. That's really interesting. And yeah. you, you mentioned yeah. Japan. A lot of people wouldn't be aware of what you're mm. doing and with the Kirin. It has... It, yeah. Watched a Kieran race, you need to. Mm. It is very, very cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. What yeah, yeah. Like, like, 
like yeah. boxing on bikes, but it um, really yeah. is. So and almost like jockeys with your little colours. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, yeah. Not. So the um, I've been lucky enough, or fortunate enough to uh, have been invited to Japan for the last eight eight or nine years to yes. race over there, and they have about two and a half thousand registered Kieran riders over there. Um, so it's basically they they bet on Kieran racing over there. So it's mm-hmm. like like you mentioned, it's like horse racing, um, but on bikes on velodromes so <laughs> yeah 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 it's it's uh it's pretty crazy it's pretty it's like another world for sure yeah and, uh, you, and you go into lockdown don't you before the race yeah so for the day before the race starts we're in lockdown for four days so we race for three days and we're in lockdown for a day before that mm-hmm. uh, yeah got a hand over computers mobile phones anything with bluetooth so that you can't obviously contact someone outside and say hey put a bet on yeah. this or that and you know the, the bets can't be rigged um, so it's pretty surreal. Like, yeah, you're just literally locked away from the world for four days. It's like no communication at all, no phones, no no tele, like no landline phones, and nothing like that. So mm-hmm. just Japanese TV and yeah, and yeah, whole, not much training either. Whole days. You- no, we can only um, we can only use the track for twenty minutes a day yeah. um, in the morning, and then yeah, we've got to use rollers to warm up and warm down, and then we just do one race a day, um, yeah. which lasts for about two and a half minutes, and that's it. Two and a half minutes of work and we're done. That's right. So it's a yeah. pretty quick race. Um, talk us through yeah. the Kieran event because I love it. I, I yeah. So basically you've got, so in um, you know, the Kieran did it, the Olympics, the World Championships, you basically, there's six riders on the track, get taken up to about 55K an hour and at three laps to go, the bike pulls off and then basically everyone's, you know, you know some riders have got uh, big, you know, long, long spurts of speed and others have got like a shorter, shorter sprint or power band on them. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of tactics that are starting to play its part in this whole uh, Kieran event internationally you know, coming to the Olympics in the world. Yeah. But there's also a lot of rules for, um, you know, the Olympics and the world titles where you can't actually bump riders. You can't headbutt them. You can't move out of the sprinter's <laughs> lane to, Yeah. So it's there's a fair fair bit of you know you have to kind of be play nice with it all yeah, uh, to position yeah. yourself. Yeah, Japan is pretty different to that. So you've got nine riders on the track, and actually you can make lines or team up together. Oh wow! Yeah, um, and follow each other, and you know you have to talk to the media about all that the days before. Okay. But also in Japanese Kieran, you can headbutt, you can move up oh. and down the track, you can yeah. take basically riders' wheels out and oh. all that sort of stuff, elbows yeah. and everything. That is actually yes. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun to watch. Like there's been some oh, yeah. crazy crashes, mm. obviously with all that stuff going on. But it to bring in the commercialization of professional truck cycling. <laughs> Bit more headbutt. Th- yeah, yeah, I hundred percent like it. Yeah. So the Kieran it's in Japan, case. that's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been running, um, you know, like Kieran in Japan is, is, it's a professional sport mm-hmm. and it's funny that I say professional sport because it, once again, it's entertainment, you know, there's betting lights and stuff, but a lot of the riders smoke and drink. Oh, wow. So, because nice. for them, it's it's just a, it's a normal job. Like, you know, if, ah. if someone was like, oh yeah, I'm a taxi driver, the, you yeah. know, the, it's the same thing to a lot of yeah. Japanese over yeah. there that it's like, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm a Kieran rider. I go yeah. and do a couple of races each month and that's my wage. Yeah. Is there a celebrity? So that's sort of how it's... Are you a bit of a What's celebrity that? Sorry? way of like, are you, is there celebrity to being a Kieran rider? Like are you recognize? Yeah. So yeah. I, I sort of, when the first couple of years I went there, I had 
quite a bit of success and you know when you do presentations obviously the fans are going crazy because yeah. either you know one they've just won a lot of money because they've betted on you or they are actually fans and as i've sort of got started to go over there more and more and more people start recognizing you like walking down the street and all this sort of stuff and i'm just like what like really how's this possible and then happen in i sort of <laughs> yeah like i asked one of our um the JK, so Japanese Kieran Association, one of the staff from there that helps us and invites us over there and runs all of our programs and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, what's the go with that? And they said, oh, come and have a look. And they showed us like stats for uh, riders and, you know, they take polls from fans and all sorts of stuff. And I was the, the, the highest liked oh, um, international okay. foreign rider to ever come to Japan. So they're like, yeah, we, it's a business. They yeah. said, we, we do all, all this stuff. And then they showed me all these posters. So every race we go to, they have posters plastered everywhere. They have six six or seven um, channels on TV just running 24-7. And they're doing interviews with us all the time. Yeah. Our faces are on there. But we don't see any of that stuff. So that's why I was like, why, why am I being stopped on the yeah, street for like photos they hadn't seen you in a bike like you've got the helmet on you've got the kit yeah, yeah 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 no, yeah but no it's there's heaps of promotion going on and obviously because it's good for their business like yeah, the more yeah. people that come and put money down it's the more money for the business so yeah and such a nice yeah. um nice way for you to actually get some return financially i'm sure um from track cycling which doesn't yeah you know on that commercial professional side as you said so what a yeah. fun thing to be doing um and obviously you yeah, know yeah. changes and if you do it changes depending on the cycle of the olympics and all those types mm. of things. but um yeah yeah nice oh time. it's definitely i 100 mm. percent. if i didn't have a this opportunity to race in japan mm. i would not have been able to I wouldn't have been able to be world champion because I wouldn't yeah. have been able to afford to continue to ride oh, my bike. Really interesting. So I owe Japan a hell of a lot for mm. that. Um, also, it's interesting. So in 2008, um, when we spoke earlier in the podcast about um, you know when I went from as a youngster from Adelaide back to Melbourne, yeah. and I was working, I think at the time at Two Times U to try and get a bit of money to use the velodrome. Mm. I actually um, so. I, I applied for the army because I was sort of like, you know, at this point I didn't know I was going to get an invite to Japan and that sort of stuff. So late 2008, I'm like, all right, mm. what am I going to do? We've, we've just had a, our son, Aiden. Mm. I'm thinking like, oh, you know, money's tight. I'm, mm. you know, don't know if I'm going to be able to keep riding my bike. So I'm like, all right, go to the army. Like I can represent my country in another way. Mm. So that's sort of how, how I saw it. And I applied for the commandos and got through all the, psyche valves and all that sort of stuff and um actually had the paperwork and just up the road from where i was working from two times you was a barracks yeah uh or not not a barracks but like a headquarters for uh the army so i was like all right i'm gonna go drop it off today and on this day i've gone down there and i'm like banging on the door banging on the door anyway it was some form of like they'd had they'd had lunch off or they'd you know, it wasn't a holiday or anything, but they were off doing something and they closed down the thing. So I was like, oh, shit, I can't hand it in. So, all right, went back. Anyway, the next day I got a email from Japan saying like, hello, this is Tatsu, and I'm still friends with this guy to this day. Wow. Uh, you know, we, we sent you some documents or an email, you know, weeks ago. Yeah. Asking if you want to come 
to Japanese Kieran. And I was like, what? I never got any email. So what actually had happened, they'd sent an email as they do, this is sort of Japanese business style, they send it to the boss of the Cycling Federation. So they sent it to um, Cycling Australia president at the time. Yeah, He's seen it, knew, knew that it was there and has gone, no, no, I'm just not going to forward that. So anyway, yeah. So I've I've ended up grilling this guy because I'm like, hang on a minute, yeah, that is not that he didn't even forward this on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I ended up talking to the, the obviously Tatsu, the, the Japanese boss, said, "Yep, yeah, more than happy to cool. see what what it's all about and everything." And then anyway, he sent me the paperwork. I yeah. was like, came home, like you know, got the paperwork and said to Christine, like. What do you think? And she's like, well, I definitely prefer that than you getting shipped off to war somewhere. Yeah. So I was like, all right, lucky that that place was closed because once you've signed on the dotted line and all that with the army, you're in. Holy um, heck, that is Yeah, incredible. so it was pretty, yeah, it's pretty close. I do love so, fate. I do love things like this. That is very, very Yeah. Cool. And this 100%. Yeah. That story is no bullshit. That is hundred percent how everything it went down. Yeah, wow. it was crazy. I, I was just like, "What the? What, hang on, this." And you've got to trust is, in that, right? Like anything that happens like that, you're like, oh, "Trust in this." Like this is meant to. Yeah. Be. Yeah, that's very. Yeah, very, yeah. I am. Um, yeah. I'm very conscious of time, and I um just noticed how long we've been talking for, which doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all because I know how long yeah, our yeah. just even just our Zoom consults go because we end up talking, yeah, yeah. Time, which is fine, but um. Yeah. So oh, I, will no, good. Up. I, I guess the big thing I would love to ask you before we finish up is just yep. that bit of advice that you could give to the everyday athlete all the way up to the, you know, the junior elite, the elite professional. Um, what, what kind of things do you live by when things are getting hard or things are kind of a, bit, a little bit challenging? What keeps you going and what keeps you in that state of wanting to achieve? Yeah. Okay. Obviously, a big thing, like it's obviously a bit of a cliche. You, you've got to have goals. Without goals, you've got no direction. Mm. Um, but for that goal, you've got to have these stepping stones or that process to get there. Um, so that's that's a huge thing for me is actually sitting down and kind of going, all right, what's what's my goals? Okay, that's my goal, mm. but I'm not going to focus solely on that. I'm going to focus on the process of getting that goal. Because if, if it's just the goal, but then there's no processes there, how, how are you going to get to that goal? Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing with every day. It's not just at racing, but every day. It's, the, it's a process. Like it's a process to, you know, you get up and you make the breakfast that you need mm. to make to help, you know, support what you're going out there to do, whether it's your training, business, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Support what you're doing. So, yeah, absolutely. Nah, yeah. So it's it's you just got to have a process, and then you've got to trust in, I guess, your program or what you've you've set yourself up to do. You you got to trust, in, I guess, in that process. Mm. And one of the biggest things I always say to people is consistency. So you know, it's no good having you know one good day and then it's like, all right, that's it. That's that's a, that's enough. And then the next week. Oh, one, you know, yeah. yeah. It's like you've got to be consistent um, with what you're doing, um, you know, whether it's with your training, work, business, whatever, like just in general, okay. consistency, um, you know, is a huge thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And but also, it doesn't need I, to equal perfection. Like I think a lot of people are like, exactly. Is yep. It's like, no, no, that's a really different thing. You don't have to be perfect to actually yep. have that consistency and achieve your goals. Oh, oh certainly. And I've learned that over the years because obviously having a family too, in terms of the like time you've got in a day, there's only so much time you've got in a day. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> if it's, yeah, if it's like, you know, if I've got to do a road ride and, you know, I used to put a lot of pressure on myself with all this thinking that, okay, I've got this program. I need to do everything that's on there. And if I miss a session, then, you know, I'm not going to be where I need to be sort of thing. But it's like, ah, uh, yes, you do have to be flexible too. So it's, it's not like there's no, you know, we've said this a few times on the podcast, there's no like one way or one blueprint to get from A to B. It's like there's all these things between A and B, you know, that pop up and everyday life stress, whatever, something happens. It's like, yeah, you've got to be reactive to those things and do what's best for you on that day too. Mm. And really, so, you know, gentle with yourself and forgiving if, you know, the day is yeah. necessarily planned. And, um, yeah, yeah, consistency is very different. And I think in, you know, nutrition, yeah. you know, a lot of people go in, oh, I've got to be consistent, but they see that as perfection. And they're like, oh, well, I've yeah. had a bad meal or I've had a bad day or, you know, bad, whatever mm. that actually means. And, well, what's the point now? And I yeah. think if you go into any goal like that or any training like that, then it is going to end in burnout and just deciding, well, what's the point? Um, 100%. 100%. Yeah, that's exactly spot on there. Um so as an example, like for me, yeah, okay, if my coach puts down, you know, okay, go out and do an hour road ride or something like that and, okay, it's raining. So it's like, all right, ergo for an hour. Yeah, great. I can tell you right now, I hate sitting on the ergo for an hour. Yeah. I hate it. And some people, like everyone's different with how they look. They might think, oh, geez, he's, he's lazy. It's like, yeah, I just, I, I know that it's important to go and do, do these things, but you also need to be, you need to enjoy what you're doing. You need to be happy as well. So for me, if something like that happens, I'll do a core workout because I enjoy that more. Yeah, so yeah, doing still, something. Yeah. You're still adding to that goal. Not, yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not exactly what it is, you're still moving yourself closer exactly to the goal where you need to be. The other big thing, this yeah. is massive. Yeah. Is patience. Yeah. Everyone wants everything now. Like I want to, you know, I want to lose weight now. I want to be, I want to look like that. I want to be fit. I want to get there. I want to build these muscles. It's always, I want it now. Like I want to have my best performance in two weeks. It's yeah. like all this stuff takes time. You have to be patient um, with all these things. That's the biggest thing I've learned because when I was younger, yeah, I wanted, I wanted, it's like, I want to be world champion. I want to be world champion. I want to be, the more I wanted it, the more I was taking myself away from where I wanted to be. Yeah. It's crazy, yeah. you know, like, yeah. And I, cause I know some people say like on race day, it comes down to who wants it more. Mm. Like, yeah, but also there's been years and years of preparation along those lines to sort of get there. So yeah, maybe that's one to save for on the day, not to live by every day with how much. Yeah, absolutely. Like knowing and going especially, into that event. Mm. and and that yeah. of going into an event being you know confident in your process so if you haven't done the mm. process 
process or you have strayed away from that or lost sight of the process, then you won't have the confidence going into the event that you have actually ticked those boxes and you have been consistent and you have nailed nutrition, you've nailed training, you've nailed recovery and, you know, um, all those will then add to that confidence and then add to that performance come race day. Mm. Yeah. And I I think... Consistency, yeah, so, everyone. You've heard it here. Yeah, exactly. So set 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 your goals, yeah. you know, and then how how are you going to get there? And then yeah. keep it consistent. You obviously got to commit to that process yeah. as well. And then what was the third one that we said? Patience. Yeah, patience. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about something else. And I'm like, <laughs> one, one, one thing that was actually really good for me is really simple that someone said to me a long, long time ago was, so positive self-talk so we can all and i say this to my daughter all the time because she's a she's a fiery one yeah. um she's a legend yeah um i always sort of say like michi you know you've you you're one the one that's actually in control of your your feelings like how yeah. you feel mm. and this goes for everybody we are all in control of our own feelings so it's like you know when someone says something to you that you don't like mm. Yeah, actually, you, you've got a choice as to how you react to that. Like, it's your decision. And, you know, obviously, it's not always that easy just to think, think back there. But if you can start to build that process in mind, then you're going to handle everyday things much better. And there's um, kind of like a diagram that someone uh, drew for me once, and it's, it's basically like a circle So of your thoughts. So, obviously, you've got a negative thought. You know, and it's okay when to that come around. Thought, you know? yeah, yeah. It, comes, it comes back around again. So yeah. in that process, yeah, you've got negative thought. Well, you can say to yourself, like, thanks for coming, negative thought, fuck off. Yeah. And yeah. then you're changing it into a point. Like it's, it just goes around in a circle. So if you've got a negative thought, then you've got another negative thought, then you've got another negative thought, you're bringing it all, like... You, you're not going to you get think, out of I it. I know. Not, yeah. Exactly, that's right. But you can change that yeah. into a positive thought. So that's... Yeah. Whereas I guess getting, getting people to realise that they they can change mm. that themselves. Yeah, I love like, that because it's okay yeah. to feel negative thoughts. I, I don't think, you know, yeah. that's not the message here. Oh, it's like, it's yeah. how, what you would then do yeah. with that negative thought and how you then... Yeah, act. that's right. Yeah, and yeah. how that then influences yeah. so many others as well. Yeah, because yeah. I often get this, this question from a lot of people is like, oh, it's, it's easy for you, you know, like you're you've got a good life and you, you exercise and you've, you're positive and it's like, uh, actually, no, like it's not, it's not that easy. It's really difficult. Um, you know, I get negative thoughts all the time. No one's, no one's immune and it doesn't just stop. It's, no. it's how you, like you've just said, like when you get a negative thought, how do you react to that? Yeah. So then when a negative thought comes in, yeah, you change it to a positive one. That's that's how I react to it, and that's how I keep positive and keep mm. moving forward and putting one foot in front of the other. And yeah, there's hundred percent. There's days, you know. I think a lot of people look at athletes, and you know, mm. it sort of looks like a pretty glamorous way to live, I guess, because yeah. you're just seeing the, the yeah. surface of things. Yeah. But then, yeah, the, we're we're all human. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people still, don't. Yeah. Like even just there's no set weekends and days with athletes. There's no, you know, the the social life is completely different. The responsibilities, the stresses are there. Like it is not. And this is what I tell people all the time within sport, you're doing it Mm. 
out of passion and love. You're not there for the money. You are yeah, not there for the work hours. <laughs> you are there yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be the best that you can be. And, you know, set days, set weekends don't exist. And you miss so many different things. There's so much, so many things that you give up to be in sport. Yeah. To the supporting yeah. um, people, supporting athletes, and then of, of course the athletes themselves. And it's a really interesting thing that I see put on a pedestal is this sporting space and to be an athlete. Mm. And I think um, yeah. a lot of people don't actually realize behind the scenes, it's not going yeah, yeah. like it's actually no, it's really hard slog. Yeah. 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 Very good fun. Yeah. The other thing, actually, yeah. So, yeah, definitely was. Um, we sort of didn't touch on it, but it just made me think of it obviously also because of um, like you, you and Dan and what you're doing and the passion you uh, bring to your business and where you want to go is um, the journey of something. So yeah. yeah, When people ask me about Tokyo, it's like, okay, what's, what's the reason like, Oh, you want to win a gold medal so bad. It's like, actually no. So there's, there's this whole thing. And as I've yeah. got more experience doing what I'm doing, I realized that yeah. there's this whole thing that I missed a fair bit of in the earlier years of my career, which was taking notice of the journey towards, you know, right. like, okay, yeah, okay. I've won a world title. That's great. Yeah. But the whole process before that yeah. and the things I went through and, mm. you know, Christine and myself and the kids and all this sort of stuff, friends and family, that whole journey is actually that's the world championship yeah. not the not yeah. that piece of metal or the jersey at the end of it it's mm. the the whole journey is ah oh, there's so much to it and i and that's what excites me about tokyo is the the stuff like now actually doing it. it's a totally this, different journey which is very yeah being yeah. on this path and and it's basically what you guys have done with with compete you know oh thank you it is interesting because as you were saying that, I, I, I'm, I'm nodding because a lot of people now come to us um, with our growth and success. They're like, oh, you're just in it for the money or you're just going to take our jobs. Or mm. yeah, there's definitely negatives to doing something different. And that's been a really big yeah, challenge yeah. for me because we could be very comfortable on Dan's wage. Like we could just do it easy. And yeah, I, yeah. You know, exactly, um, yeah. a friend of ours, Susie, always says the biggest threat to a great life is a good life. And we could have yeah. a good life in terms of finances. Yeah, yeah. But we want to do something different and it's challenging that norm um, and actually driving mm. that change. And our value isn't in making money. We never set out to make money. We, we actually mm. did this for the profession. Um, this is for the yeah. dietitian and improving value and mm. improving the support that we can actually provide to athletes and the active individual. We like, you know, yeah. obviously we need to make money to survive, but that is yeah. and, and like the gold medal, right? Like the gold medal yeah. is a great little thing at the end if it happens, but yeah. that journey yeah. is the most important part and sticking with your values is so much more important than, you know, oh. losing sight of that for one medal or, you know, yeah. money or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. No, definitely. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And that it goes it's across the board. It's not yeah. just sport, eh, is it? It's like it's that whole thing. Why? Yeah. You know, and appreciating yeah. the journey. Yeah. And, and appreciating yeah, yeah, because we are such in a now environment, like you said, um, I think we often yeah. don't, we lose track of all the things that we are actually achieving and changing and um, doing every day because yeah. it is, you know, yeah, I yeah. think we are a 
uh, in the highlight reel of our lives at the moment, um, yeah. social media. So we do lose sight of the actual highs and lows and the things that come out of that. So thank you so, so yeah. much, Jane. I have had an time. I realise that we've stolen an yeah. hour and a half of everyone's day <laughs> and I'm not even sorry. I really, yeah, really yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being so open with your conversation, giving so many beautiful tips to just everyone, whether they're an athlete or not. I think they'll gain a lot out of your insights and your experience. So it's been a pleasure working with you. And I'm so glad that through podcasts, I can actually share some of your beautiful knowledge and um, values with everyone. So thank you. We really, really appreciate it. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Alicia. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed our waffle, we would love for you to leave us a review and subscribe to our pod on either iTunes or Stitcher. For even more on all things nutrition and performance, make sure you follow Compete Nutrition on Facebook and Instagram. We hold a live every Thursday night at 8.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time. Until next time, this has been the Compete Waffle.